John, you're the main character and the narrator of your new documentary, Stink. Um, what would you recommend to other filmmakers and, and what can you share about the process of putting yourself and your life story, essentially, into a film? Well, I, I think I ended up being in the film more than I thought I would be. So that kind of happened organically. I thought we'd start off and I'd sort of tee things off with my personal story and then we would get rolling. And I, I think maybe my editor actually twisted my arm more to put me more in there because he felt that it was able to ground the film. And you know, it was my first film as well. And I had very, uh, I had ideas about how it should be done, but it was more based on gut instinct than, than formal training. Whereas my editor is a filmmaker, so we worked well together because if I was going off the rails a little bit, he'd be able to tell me, you know, here's what we should be thinking. After the filming was done, I'm saying, like just from an editorial standpoint. Right. Well, it seemed like you would sort of dip your toe in your story and then pull back a little bit and then do, and I, it created suspense because you weren't quite sure some of the impetus for the film right away. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why the, you know, the, the film starts off with a pair of pajamas. It's like, why do these things smell? And I thought that if I use something, the, the pajamas is a metaphor, it would be less intimidating to people because sometimes when you start talking about chemicals, it's so abstract, it's so scary, but pajamas aren't. Then we find out they actually are. But the pajamas, again, help ground the film because I use that as a metaphor to traverse the system, both you know, where things are sold, the way things are regulated, and I think it makes it people less um, inclined to sort of tune out, I hope anyway. Right. So were there times with your editor, did you sort of then look at what they said? I mean, it was a he or she, sorry. He. A he, okay. And, and you know, you're, he was right, you know, maybe I should do this more, put more. Did you kind of, not battle, but, but have a, a friendly disagreement about? Yeah, I mean, by the time the editor was on it, we, you know, everything was shot. So it wasn't so much that, but it was definitely, you know, having a, a sort of a hardened pro was good to have as a sounding board for me because editorially it's, it's very different. You know, I, I thought that you know, it's, Stink is not a natural story in the sense that it doesn't, you know, it's just, it's not that picture perfect. And so the ending of it was, was tough and it took a long time to edit because we had to take a lot of different pieces that people really hadn't heard about and sort of tie them together. And that, that was the real challenge, honestly, in the editorial. Okay. Um, any unforeseen challenges? I know you have some interesting scenes where you definitely, um, confront some people in a very professional manner, but um, any unforeseen challenges that where it really tested you and you weren't sure if you were gonna continue with the film? Well, I, th I think that the interesting thing was that some people don't want to be interviewed. Uh, if you say you're doing a documentary, it's kind of like if you're in a table, if, if you don't know who the sucker is in the room, it's you. You know, so when you call someone and say, I would like to interview you, you're thinking, all right, what's the gotcha? But I was like very transparent. In one case, I interviewed a, a senator and I sent her all the questions in advance. Just like, look, because if you call, like, they're busy, I get it, they've never heard of you. Here's all the questions I'm gonna ask. If I go off strip, just turn the camera off, walk out. And they, I think they appreciated that sort of honesty, that here's the deal. And then when her political opponent, I said to them, would you like to do an interview? He said, yes, but then when I sent the questions, he was like, no, I don't wanna go on camera and answer these questions. And so that's why I decided that, you know, in part of telling the story, you have to hear from all these people. You can't, you've seen too many films where it says, you know, this person declined to be interviewed. So I called him, I'm like, look, you're an important part of this film. I'm going to show up and ask you these questions just to let you know. And here's the questions I'm gonna ask you. And so that, that's what I did, you know, and, and I tried to do it in such a way where they kind of had the heads up, so don't be surprised if I show up. But it's, I think it's important for the story for people to hear, 
you know, because in the case of stink, not to give too much away, but all I was trying to find out is once you find out it's completely legal to sell products with chemicals that cause cancer and birth defects, right? You want to ask the people in power, well, what's the consumer advantage of that? Well, there, there is no consumer advantage, but you want to see how the person's going to answer the question. Right. We always hear like, oh, don't, you know, don't send them the questions in advance, but it sounds like it really worked in your favor because it got people to relax. I, I think it did, and, and it wasn't for everyone, but it was kind of in those situations where, you know, their, their handlers would be like, well, we don't know this guy, he hasn't really done anything, you know, this could be like a gotcha situation. So I did it just to show, to give them a little peace of mind and the hopes of the, like, all right, this guy's just being honest, this is what he's going to ask, and I explicitly said, if you're not comfortable with the interview, just sign the release afterwards, you know, it's just, and, and I think that worked in getting some of the people that were on the fence. Right, so maybe not forcing them, but letting them kind of ease into it right, and then right. make a decision. Okay. Um, we often hear that um, making a documentary is much uh, harder than making a narrative. So was there a point, though, where you were ready to walk away from the film at any, at any time? So at points it became frustrating because we were following some of this legislation. And you know, some of the stuff was going on for a year and it's like watching paint dry, you know, nothing's really happening and it's, it was being uh, held up by, by design because they didn't want this law, they didn't want there to be a vote. And so we had to, and, and one of the bills still has, is still in, in limbo. So at some point you have to just, you have to close it. You have to come up with a way to end it because, you know, this legislation could, nothing could happen for 10 years. And so that, I wasn't ready to throw in the towel but at some point I was like, I can't sit around and wait for another hearing in six months. We need to like, you know, wind this down. Interesting. Um, I understand from just a little bit of research on your background that you're an entrepreneur or that you were. Um, how did that help in making this film? Like what skill sets that you have in having your own mm -hmm. business translated into making a film? And how yeah. did you also find them maybe to your detriment? Right. So in, in the 90s, I had an interactive agency, so I was used to working on projects. So I think a lot of those skills and just a project doing something from seed to fruit is transferable to film. And, uh, y you know, I think, and then I, and, and then I had a, a site that was an internet auction, but for intellectual property. So I was used to being sued and for, for doing the right thing and for, you know, saying that we should be transparent and that whole thing. So there were a lot of like weird things that actually clicked that were transferable. That, but you know, I have no formal training in film, but I didn't really look at that as a problem because I don't think that someone who had all the film training would have had uh, necessarily all the other pieces to bring to the table. If someone had all of those, then that would be great, but I hope that person makes the film. But, but yeah, so like a lot of this, the skills from the entrepreneurial background definitely help. So how is um, running a, a small business or even a large company similar to making a movie? Uh, it's actually very different. Um, I mean, the, I, I would say the common denominator is building a great team. And you know, I think you have to respect someone professionally, but also on a personal level, be able to sit down and have a coffee with them or a beer. And I think that's really important, especially for startups. The, the thing with, with film, it's like, you know, with a startup, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're working crazy hours and sometimes for nothing in the hopes of like a, a big payoff maybe. Whereas, you know, in film, you're working on a project and you're off to the next one. So I think from the, the people in the business, it's just a different animal. But um, you get definitely people 
in, in the sort of the dot-com world and the film world who are just passionate about what they do and they just love the end result. So that sort of enthusiasm is, is, is pretty awesome. You know, right. you'll meet like some guy, you have to hire like a sound guy in Washington, D.C. And, you know, he just, the guy just loves it, you know, and it's just, you find people like that wherever you go, just people, you can see that those people are just really passionate about it. John, did you invest any of your own money in the film? Was it all your money? How did you start? Did you start small? And then yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things that you, I underestimated the cost of getting it done, but once, once you're in deep, um, you have to finish it, you know, so uh, it's, um, and as you know, it can be an expensive undertaking, but I felt very strongly about the project, and I think that, you know, there wasn't really time to put it on ice and, and, and try to get third-party funding um, without delaying the projects. We just had to, to push through and get it done. Right. Well, um, on a personal note, I, I know that you talk about uh, your wife's uh, passing, Heather, mm -hmm. and um, you, you show pictures of a, a family outing that you and your daughters took after right. her passing, and it was very powerful, and it sounds like that was a, a big impetus for the film, was that going to the mall and, and going to that store. That's right. Um, so after that trip, because it sounded like it was really a, a life-changing experience for mm -hmm. the three of you. Um, when did you decide to like embark on the documentary? Well, you know, it it literally happened, and I'm gonna make this up. The the pajamas, the I had been thinking about writing a piece about this loophole that allowed companies to not disclose harmful ingredients by just saying it's a trade secret. And I had a friend who was in film, and she kept telling me, "You have to do a documentary. You have to do a documentary on that." And then I literally, the pajamas were a Christmas present. We opened the package and it had a crazy smell. And the first call, it wasn't. You know, we didn't record it. I just called. And I was like, "Are these things safe?" And they acted like I was crazy. So I went to the store, and found the same pajamas, smelled them. It had the exact same things. So I'm like, "Okay, I'm not crazy." I'm like, "We're gonna start recording these calls." And I had a friend who was a cameraman. He came over. We started recalling it. And then I'm like, "All right, I think we have something here. Just, I just want to find out why these things stink." And and that's what happened. Right, and I enjoyed hearing all the little, um, you know, whether it was voicemail and it sounds so cutesy and happy with these, you know, different companies right. and things and people definitely professional but reserved when they answered questions. What can you advise to other filmmakers on a technique of filming calls? I don't know what the laws are, especially mm -hmm. in your state, but... Yeah, so you hit the nail on the head. It, whether you can record a call varies from state to state. Some states are single party, some are dual party. Dual party meaning that you have to say, if I'm in New York and you're in California, I have to say, I'm recording this call, are you okay with that? And they have to say yes. If it's a single party consent state, then you don't have to tell them because one party is consenting to person calling. Interesting. Okay, so within your state, it's a it's a single party. Well, it it depends. It de oh, it literally depends on what state you're calling from and into. But it actually gets interesting in the in, in the digital age because you could be calling. Let's say you think you're calling a call center in Wisconsin, which is single party consent, I believe. Uh, that call could actually be routed to a call center in Florida where you need permission from both parties. So you have to, hey, how's the weather out in Wisconsin? Oh, I'm actually out in Florida. And you're like, you know, green light. So you, ah, have to, you have to understand the law because it's, uh, it's important. It, I mean, if you get something good and then you can't use it, what's the point? You know, and there, there's other things too where I was calling federal agencies and there's definitely some gray area. They, I'm recording this call, just say it. And then they don't hang up. You know, there's definitely some sensitivities. But I think for things like that, I think there's, um, you know, an advantage of people having this information. So, you know, 
you do the best job you can to make sure everything is fine because at some point in time the lawyers have to review everything and make sure you know they're comfortable with it well it seems like with most customer service calls they always disclose we may be for training purposes right. which right. they seem to conveniently forget right. many times when right. they should have been recording yeah. it um, so did you watch other documentaries like Michael Moore or Kirby Dick and, and people that do similar things and it's very powerful just as it is in your film yeah like mm -hmm. I've, I've watched a ton of them just for fun like over the years I've always been a fan of, of, of documentaries so I've I've seen I've seen a lot of them and you know I, I think that um, I guess that helps but it's such a this is kind of like an esoteric topic you know and it's it doesn't really make sense and that's why you know having the name stink it's a, like a sense I think people are like what is that you know I think it's um it's 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 kind of a hard story because there's so many moving parts and legislation and regulation and people it's just not language that people are typically discussing on a daily basis it's kind of it's kind of off the radar well just wrapping up here um, I just want to ask you it sounds like you did a lot of research on these various chemicals. Um, how much time did you spend in the research portion of, of what either the, the laws about trade secrets or, mm -hmm. or the actual chemical compounds beforehand? Uh, I mean like a year because the, you know, one of the kids having two young kids and being a single father, you know, I remember for a year staying up late and just reading stuff when they were asleep and really researching to really understand the playing field um, because it was important to be able to, to know who you need to interview and what questions to ask. You had to have that foundation. Interesting. So a ton of research. So, and it, and it grew as the documentary went along? Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. But I think having that, that sort of base of knowledge, uh, especially when you're talking to an expert, you know, if you're talking to, to a scientist, you have to be able to speak their language. And sometimes their answers will be in a language that the average viewer won't uh, be able to interpret because you have to ask, ask them and try to have it in layman's terms so that you know, what they're saying is, is usable. Um, someone could have a great line and uh, for other PhDs will get a, a kick out of it, but if the person watching doesn't understand it, it doesn't really do you any good. Do you think you gain their respect by being yeah. your due diligence? Okay. Yeah, definitely. I mean, once they, they, they start off and they're like, this guy doesn't know anything, and then once you start asking them questions that you've done your homework, I think that they, you know, you get a good information because they, they know that you're sincere and that you've research the topic and I think it makes the interview go better.